We're in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. Know your adversary. Know your adversary. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanius, who is Silas in some of your Bibles, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, this is the final lesson in Peter, in 1 Peter. We've made it through 1 Peter, but guess where we're going next? 2 Peter, that's right. And the theme for the last time is strength and comfort and suffering. Now, last week we talked about faithful shepherds and what faithful shepherds are. We gave the definition that is sometimes confusing because elders, shepherds, pastors, bishops, they're all synonyms for the same thing. Elders is the position. Shepherding is what the elders do. First of all, the main job of an elder is to feed the flock, to feed the flock the Word of God. It isn't to be entertaining. It's not to be a motivational speaker, but to feed the Word of God. And it's to make the body of Christ stronger and stronger and stronger as we go through these trials of life, go through these struggles of life. The shepherd's responsibility is to feed the flock the Word of God, to guide them, guard them, encourage them to go farther. That is the shepherd's job. Now, remember this. Well-fed sheep are strong sheep, and strong sheep are not easily deceived. Jesus said in John 8.31 these words. These are great words. If you abide in my word, that a word abide is menno. It means to dwell, tarry, be at home in, stay in. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free or make you free. Free from Satan's clutches, free from deception, not deceived. You'll know the truth. You won't be deceived. In verse 1, we see that there's always a plurality of elders. He says, to the elders who are among you, I exhort. It's in the plural. It's always a plural, always more than one. Why? Because there needs to be accountability within the eldership, within the leadership, and it protects against a rogue leader, someone that wants to take all the power like Diotrephes. He wanted to have all the attention in, in 3 John. It protects against that. It protects against cult and cult leaders. That happens all the time when, when power goes to somebody's head. Secondly, elders are always male. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, female pastors or female elders, are, it's just not a biblical concept. It is not a biblical concept. It's just not in Scripture, no matter how much you try to twist it in order to change with the culture. Hey, we are to stick with the Word of God. We are to stick with the Word of God. And then we know that faithful shepherds, again, main job is to feed, guard, and guide the sheep. And the faithful shepherds are to protect the flock from false teachers. In Acts 20, verse 29 through 30, he's talking to the elders at Ephesus. And he says, you must be aware that there'll be wolves that will come from without and wolves that will rise up from within trying to steal the sheep or take the sheep away. And he says, protect the sheep. You protect them by the word of God 
and you expose outright error. The shepherd's responsibility is to protect and expose outright error. And then again, faithful shepherds are to lead by examples. They are never to be lords and masters. They are not to be dictators. They are to be servant leaders. Servant leaders. Now, the qualities of the shepherd that you follow. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. That's number one. They've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith, demonstrated faith, you follow. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Their conduct is exceedingly important. Character qualities that we see in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, these are all character qualities that are extremely important. Their conduct is important. And so those who have demonstrated the, the right to be followed by their character qualifications, their faithfulness to the, to the word, these are examples, have been examples to the flock. These are the ones you follow. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says specifically this, Obey those who rule over you, who lead you, be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. So not lords and masters, servant leaders, and the ones that you follow are the ones that have demonstrated faithfulness, have taught you the word of God, and are worthy to be followed. So, this week, Peter concludes his encouragement to fellow sufferers. Please be aware, behind all the suffering that you see in the world, behind all the tragedies, Behind every disease, behind every issue, there is an evil one. There is an evil one. Peter concludes his encouragement with this. Again, behind every persecution, every bit of suffering, behind every Nero that comes to power, every Stalin, every Hitler, every Pope Pot, the Cambodian leader, behind every cancer, behind every divorce, behind every interpersonal relationship issue, there is an enemy of your souls. Now, how do I know that? Because it says in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember, every conflict that you get into, it is not flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces that are at work mixing things up, mixing things up. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in, in heavenly places. Every chaos that you see, think the enemy. Every chaos you see, he's a chaos producer. He is a foe who is bent on inflicting chaos in your life, and if he can, he will mess you up big time. You must stay close to your power source. He is real, he is formidable, and he is ruthless. And make no mistake, he masquerades as what? An angel of light, an angel of light. And his ministers masquerade as angels of righteousness. We see that in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So be very careful. Be very careful of this enemy. He is behind all the chaos in the world. He is none other than your adversary, the devil. This week, it is incumbent upon every Christian to know your adversary. Know his tactics. Know how he operates. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. As always, Lord, your word is the one that directs our lives. We focus our attention on what you are teaching us here today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to apply this to each one of our hearts, and may we hear the truth about who you are and how you expect us to live and how are we are to fight this enemy of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Introduction, know your adversary. C.S. Lewis says this, two errors people make with the devil. One is too much emphasis on the devil. It's the devil of everything. It's the devil of this. It's the devil of that. It's the devil of divorce. It's the devil of, of drugs. It's the devil of, of overeating. You know, in the 1970s, there was a comedian. His name was Flip Wilson. And he had a great comedy routine where he said, the devil made me do it. He kept saying over, and believe me, the devil cannot make you do anything. He cannot make you do anything. James 1.14 says this, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Folks, it's easy to blame the devil for things that we are responsible for ourselves. He cannot make you do anything, but what he tries to do is bait you and influence you to do evil, but he cannot make you. So one thing is too much emphasis, C.S. Lewis says. The other thing he says is being naive about the devil. Don't believe that he exists. He's make-believe. He's folklore. He's the boogeyman. Both are simplistic. You must know about your enemy. And the word devil means slanderer, accuser, slanderer or adversary. The word Satan means accuser of the brethren. The battlefield is your mind, is your soul, your feelings, your emotions, that sort of things, your thoughts. The war rages within us. And that, that war, he has the ability to influence us, but not make us do certain things. He can influence us, but not make us do certain things. His schemes and his methods he's been using since the beginning of time. In Ephesians 6.11, we've mentioned this so many times, you should have this almost memorized, put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Remember, wiles are his schemes, his methods, his techniques that he uses with humans from the beginning of time to today. He has refined them. He is an adversary that knows exactly when to hit, how hard to hit, and how much mess that he can cause in your life when he does hit. He throws the bait out. You're attracted to the bait. How, he, knows, he, he throws the bait out that you're attracted to. He knows exactly how much that you need at a certain time. And he knows the perfect time to throw it out. When your life is in chaos and in turmoil, that is the perfect time when he's going to come and throw out more bait to trap you. The demonic realm has been watching you. There's, this is real. They've been watching you. They've been studying you. They know your tendencies, your tendencies. They've been watching you in an effort to destroy you. And your job as a Christian is to be aware of this roaring lion's tactic and resist him steadfast in the faith. That's our job. Now, Dwight Pentecost says this in his book, Your Adversary, the Devil. And he, he, his emphasis is know his tactics. No military commander could expect to be victorious in battle unless he understood his enemy. Should he prepare for an attack by land and ignore the possibility that the enemy might approach by air or by sea, he would be open to, the, to that way of defeat? Or should he prepare for a land and sea attack and ignore the possibility of attack through the air, he would certainly jeopardize the campaign. No individual can be victorious against the adversary of our souls unless he understands, understands that adversary unless he understands that adversary's philosophy, his methods of operations, his methods of temptation. Folks, we must know our adversary. Know this one. 
the culprit that causes all the world's pain, all the misery, all the dangers, all the deception, all the emotional turmoil in our lives is none other than our adversary, the devil. Know him. In verse 8, know your adversary by being sober and vigilant. Sober and vigilant. Very important. Not to be silly. Not to be unaware of him. Sober and vigilant. It's real. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy your life, devour you. That's what he wants to do. And he is not gentle. Satan is active, he's on the move, and he's searching for victims. He's searching for easy prey. There's going to come a picture up here about the roaring lion. Now, I want you to notice this is in the background of every one of our lives. Now, I don't think that Satan deals with each one of us, but he has a demonic horde that does. He can only be in one place at one time, so he's dealing with rulers and that sort of thing. We're down the line, but there are demons that are involved in this thing. Here's this dude, he's on his computer, and what do you think he's doing? He's being tempted by this guy. Now, he might have started here with a good intent. I'm going to go to this site, I'm going to watch this, and then something pops up. And lo and behold, before he knows it, he's into porn. Or he's into some place, or he's in a chat room, or he's in some place where he shouldn't be. This devil is always there. He's always behind the scenes. As prey, our primary responsibility is to keep a lookout for this predator. And we resist him steadfast in the faith. And you must be together even more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is the light of the world. He displaces the darkness, focused on his word. Even more as you see the day approaching. Warren Wiersbe has this to say, Satan is a dangerous enemy. He is a serpent who's, who can bite us when we least expect it. That's when he comes, when you least expect it. He is a destroyer. We see in Revelation 12.11, he's called Abaddon or Apollyon. Both mean destruction. He is the accuser in Revelation 12.9. He has great power and intelligence and a host of demons to assist him in his attacks. He is a formidable enemy, and we must never, ever joke about him, ignore him, or underestimate his ability. We must be sober and have our minds under control when it comes to conflict with Satan, end quote from Warren Wiersbe. Now remember, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, Satan is a deceiver. He transforms himself into an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. He comes at you with all kinds of glitter and great and wonderful as you fall into the trap and your life is destroyed. Don't fall for him. Believers are commanded to be sober. That means self-controlled. Vigilant means mindful of the present danger. Be on the lookout. Be sober-minded. And this is an imperative. This is a command. This isn't a suggestion. Every believer is to be sober and vigilant. Sober and vigilant. Alert for the dangers around you. A sober mind, listen to this, is not under the control of drugs. It's not under the control of porn or any other addiction. It is not under the control of anger. It's not under control of jealousy. It's not under control of any offenses that come in your life. These are all portals of entry for the enemy to work. 
Do not allow yourself to be used by the enemy. Guard your soul. Guard your mind. Do not give the enemy an entrance point to influence you. Now, what does Satan look for? What does he look for? Well, he looks for this. Satan is on the lookout for easy prey. Easy prey for easy openings. Remember, he's looking for the weak. Think about the lion in the jungle. He's looking for the straggling little deer. He's looking for the one that's outside the herd, the one that's easy to grasp hold of, the babies, those separated from the group, separated from the pack. Those who are out of fellowship Christians are amazing fodder for him. But don't think it's just the immature and the weak. It can happen to any one of us if we allow our fleshly part of our being to reign. When we allow our flesh to reign, it creates an opening for him to pounce on us. And it can even happen to mature people and those he really wants to pounce on because he wants to eliminate all influence that you have. All influence that you have. One of Satan's greatest tactics with people that causes turmoil is the offended brother. Now, I have mentioned this before in the past, and it's called The Bait of Satan. John Bevere wrote a book on this, and he has actually a pretty good book on, on that subject. Now, when you think about the offended brother, think about this. Think about marriages and offense. Think about friends and offense. Think about work and offense. Think about people on teams working together and offense. And it even can happen in churches with, with people in, in the body of Christ. Satan tactics is the offended brother. And again, John Bevere wrote this. Hear, hear what he says. This is a quote from John Bevere. One of the most deceptive and insidious kinds of bait is something every Christian has encountered, and every one of us has encountered this. If you are a husband or you are a wife, or if you have kids, you have friends, you have, any, you have encountered this. It is offense. Every Christian has encountered offense. But if you pick up the, and consume it and feed on it in our hearts, then we become offended. Offended people produce the fruit of offense. Listen to his list. Tell me if this happens happened to you. Hurt, jealousy, strife, anger, envy, bitterness, outrage, resentment, hatred. Uh, then he goes on to say, offended people hurt. When we're offended, we hurt. We hurt within ourselves. And their understanding is darkened. They begin to judge others by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. Recognize his tactics, particularly in husbands and wives. Recognize his tactics. Recognize them. Don't be trapped by him. He's used this for eons of time. Be sober and be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. Now, Satan schemes the trap sequence, John Bevere goes on, goes like this. There's an offense that, that leads to betrayal, that leads to hate, that leads to being deceived, and then ends up in isolation. And the goal is to have you isolated from everything else that is safe. Now watch how this works. The offense is the trigger in a trap where the bait is placed. And he knows exactly and precisely the bait for you. For me, it would be a perfect chocolate chip cookie. Right in the trap, whatever that is, whatever that would look like, he's got me. Offense, anything that causes dissension, wars, fights, arguments, all that stuff between people. Now, this offense, now you have a choice to make at this point. 
to either take the bait or say, no, I'm going to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I'm not going to go down this road again. But if you do take the bait, it leads to betrayal. And what betrayal is a broken trust, a disappointment. This then leads to hate. It's not fervent, outright, blatant hate, but withdrawal from the person to love less. And you see this all the time in intimate relationships, where all of a sudden there's been an offense, there's been a betrayal, and then there's a withdrawal from that other person. That ends up, the next phase is this, deceived. And, those, and that is the point where the person that is offended then garners support from everybody else. They garner support. They take sides. This is the point where you hear other people's talking about you. I want to share something with you. Every one of us in this room, whoever hears this, realize that every one of us is guilty of this. We have all said something about somebody else that we shouldn't have said. Every one of us. Every one of us. So when you feel the brunt of someone saying something against you, remember this verse. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22. And it's a great word. Do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. You have done what this person is doing that you're so much in their face about. You've done the same thing. And finally, the last step is isolation. I quit. I quit the marriage. I quit the friendship. I quit the team. I quit the work. I withdraw in isolation. I quit whatever. I'm out of action. No kingdom impact. Right where Satan wants you, separated and alone. That's where he wants you. Proverbs 18.1. The man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. Proverbs 18.19. A brother of... Now, this is, this is significant. Because once this has taken root, it is hard to unroot. It is hard to unroot. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. It is hard to mend those fences once this process has progressed. And that is something that Satan wants. Disruption in your life. Disruption. This is a tried and true scheme of Satan used successfully from the beginning of time. Think about this. Cain and Abel. Cain was offended. He was jealous of his brother Abel. What did it end up? It ended up in a murder. God says to Cain, sin is knocking on your door, but you must master it, Cain. Don't let this thing progress. Don't let it go through the steps. And Cain did not heed. And Cain murdered his brother. And how often it is that we cannot mend those fences. That is right where Satan wants us. Do not fall for the bait of Satan. Be sober. Be alert. Your adversary is looking for an opening to pounce on you and to destroy you. That's what he's looking for. Verse 9. Know your adversary and please resist him. Resist him. Verse 9. Resist him how steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Don't think you're the Lone Ranger. 
Don't think you're the only one that is experiencing this. This is happening over and over and over and over and over to people throughout the world. This is a tactic that he uses ubiquitously. All over. He uses it all over the place. So you have the Holy Spirit power. Know this. You are born again of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit power. You have the Kratos power to say no to your flesh and yes to your spirit. But you have the Holy Spirit power that is in you. You have knowledge of Satan's methods, methodia, his wiles. You have this now. Resist him. Resist him. Kenneth Woosh says this. The Greek word translated resist means to oppose or to withstand, to be firm against someone else's onslaught. To be firm against his onslaught. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Believe God in his word. Do not take the bait. Do not take the bait. So how do we resist? How do we resist? Ephesians 6.13 says this. We take up the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. No peace missing. And I want to focus on one part of the armor today. One part of the armor, and that is the belt of truth. Trust in the word of God be trustful and trustworthy with the Word of God. Now, you're going to have a picture of this guy with his armor on. And notice that he's covered from head to toe. He has his shield and he has sword, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the rhema of God, the individual verses that you will have memorized to deal with this enemy. It takes spiritual discipline. You must memorize Scripture to deal with this enemy. This is your offensive weapon, the Word of God. Not you getting angry, not you spewing things at the devil. It is the Word of God. He does not want to hear God's Word. But I want to focus on this, the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Everything hinges on this belt. Everything hinges on the belt of truth. Let me share this with you. A Roman soldier wore a tunic under his armor and a large leather belt was used to gather his garments together as well as hold his sword. The belt was the first part of the armor that is put on, and it held everything else together. It was crucial. Similarly, truth is a crucial component for every believer in the spiritual battle. Without it, believers are not prepared to stand and fight. You can have all the rest of the stuff on, but if you don't have the belt on, nothing else holds up. You must have the belt of truth. This is an essential. This is an essential. The belt of truth is the word of God implanted in you. So focus on the belt of truth. The belt of truth holds the breastplate of righteousness in place. Picture the guy. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, that is held in place by the belt of truth. Secures it. It's also on the shoulders, but it helps secure it. Keep that thought. So right doctrine or right teaching leads to truth which leads to righteousness. If you take off the belt of truth, the centrality of God's word, remember in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. You take that belt off and decide you're going to wing it on your own. Righteousness falls. It leads to righteousness. Take off the belt of truth. Righteousness falls and anything goes. When the truth of God's word is compromised, anything, you can... You become truth becomes subjective. It becomes whatever I want it to be. Each person has their own truth. The result is sinful living. Always. This is 
This is 100%. This is not, you know, 30%. Or, this is 100%. You take off the belt of truth, and it will result in sinful living. Gay marriage, abortion, legalized pot, humanism, false religions, transgender, pangender, fluid gender, people calling evil good and good evil, just like it says in Isaiah 5.20. Take off the belt of truth, and a person will automatically go back to Babylon, go back to the flesh, go back to his old ways. You must keep the belt of truth on. So, how do we resist? Number one, armor up. Keep your armor on. Secondly, resist the devil. Number two, steadfast in the faith. And what does that mean, steadfast in the faith? I'm going to believe what God has taught me in his word. I'm going to know his tactics. It was a command. It was an imperative to know his tactics. Know the bait of Satan, how easily we can be caught up in this trap. Secondly, live with your armor on, and that's all your armor. Ephesians 6.13, and use the sword of the Spirit as your offensive weapon, the rhema of God, the individual verses as your offensive weapon. Thirdly, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, I won't read the whole thing, but it ends up being, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's going to be a war that you want to go your way. Your flesh always wants to tug you, always wants to take you down a road that is different than God. And it has to be, it's a battle in our minds. It's a battle in our minds. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And finally, James 4, 7, this is absolutely pivotal. Submit yourself to God. I volitionally say, I am not going to act like I want to act. You hear that? Because there's, there's a moment when you have to make a decision. Am I going to act like me? Or am I going to be obedient to the spirit that is within me? That's a crucial time. Now, believe me, we're not 100% on this. There's no 100%ers in this room on this one. But I can guarantee you, if you do this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Notice that's a promise. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And then, oh, come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's a promise. That's a promise. Now, what do you not see in resisting? What do you not see that you hear all over the place? Every Christian program, every place you go, you're going to hear these words, okay? What you do not see is this, binding Satan. Now, hear this. Bind means to tie, to tie with a chain or a cord. In rabbinical tradition, binding means forbidding. Binding means forbidding. Keep the thought in mind. So oftentimes people will say, because we want to do something. This is very common. This is very common. I want to do something. This enemy has caused such turmoil. He's caused such hassle. He's caused such destruction. I want to bind him in the name of Jesus. Bind him in the name of Jesus. But we don't see that in Scripture. All the Scriptures that have to do with binding. Jesus is binding the strong man and, and that sort of thing. These are not dealing with with us in these principles. I don't have time to develop that, but if you have a question about it, I could talk with you afterwards. I bind you. How many times have Satan been bound over the city of Chicago? And look at the murders. How many times has that happened? Or New York City, or, or, or China, or any other place? Look at. I want to put a, 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 a picture up here. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples. In Matthew 16, he is, he is talking to disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And in that place is a mountain or a, a carved out area where there's all kinds of demonic idols that are carved into the mountainside. These are the things that were worshipped. That's what they worshipped. Isn't that pitiful that people would worship something like that? Busloads after busloads after busloads of people have been binding that site. Tour group after tour group after tour group. Church group after church group are binding demons in cities and demons in counties and demons in this and demons in that. Let me share with you something. Jesus is sharing these words in Matthew 16, verse 13. And he came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and that's the background, those demonic spirits, those demonic idols. And Jesus says this, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples answer. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, so others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he asked the group, But who do you say that I am? And then Peter, being the spokesman, the impetuous one, the type AAA person, the triple A guy, he answers and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one that was promised. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my father has revealed this, who is in heaven has revealed this. And in verse 18, he says these words, and I also say to you, say to you that you are Peter, now, the word Peter is Petros. It means a small stone, a small stone, a single stone. And he says, on this rock, Petra, huge rock. And he's, imagine he's facing this whole thing and goes, on this rock, on this, he's referring to himself. On this rock, I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's what I think is going on here. There's no binding. There's no disciple in the Gospels that we see bind Satan. There's no one in the epistles that bind Satan. Peter, James, John, Paul, Jude. The only one we see in Scripture that binds Satan, other than Jesus in his words, was one angel in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. One messenger angel who has the Oh, this is it, the exousia, the executive authority of God to, I bind, to bind Satan and to cast him into the, into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. One. Didn't take a whole crew. Now, listen to what I'm going to say here. Please hear this. If the rabbinical tradition is true, and I think it, I think it has some merit, has some legs, that binding means forbidding. I believe that you can bind or you can forbid Satan in your own life. Not in the life of somebody else. We can pray that God will work in their lives, but I can forbid Satan's work in my life by not allowing him openings into my being. To stay under the cover of God, to stay close to God, to stay close to my power source, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that would be true. The second thing is, is that Oftentimes you'll hear people speaking slanderous words against the devil. And I'm going to get the devil, and we're going to chase him out, and we're going to do this. Look, they've been chasing this dude for since humanity's been in existence, and things are still going. That is not what the Scripture says. In Jude, verses 8 and 9, Michael is disputing with 
Satan about the body of Moses, and he said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. He did not bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So, we are always told in Scripture to resist Satan, steadfast in the faith. God has given us the tools. Now, this is important. Now that you know, walk in the truth of what you know. You have to make a determination. Am I going to do it God's way, or am I going to do it my way? That's what you have to determine. Every, every Christian has to do this. So, verse 10 and 11. Know your adversary. God will strengthen you, and oh, I love this, settle you. Don't you want that, to be settled, have a settled spirit instead of a disrupted spirit? Let's read it. Verse 10. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, notice that, after you have suffered a while, it will end, it will end, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then verse 11, oh, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Great word. Now, I want to encourage you about something. There's a lot of talk about Satan, and it can get scary and that sort of thing. And, and what can he really do and not do? Well, we, we've said he can't really, doesn't have really any authority over us as long as we are under the cover of God. The only authority he has is when we stick our nose where it doesn't belong. Stay close to your power source. Stay under the cover of God, and you're our protected. How do I know that? Because these scriptures, watch this, never forget 1 John 4.4. 4, Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God is resident within you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful. Faithful, now hear this, that he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. That's a promise to you. Stay under the cover. Don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong. Thirdly, John 17, 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, this is the real Lord's prayer. Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And in the very last part, he prays for the church future. This section is praying for his disciples. But notice the prayer. Don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. Now, you think Father answers Jesus' prayer? Yeah, you bet he does. And then finally, in 1 John 3, 8, remember, you're on the winning team. I don't care what happens in your life, you are on the winning team. Hear this. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy, to absolutely obliterate the works of the devil. We do not have to walk in fear of this enemy as long as we are walking under the cover of God. Very important thing to remember. And I want you to remember something else. Christians are called overcomers in Scripture. Christians are called overcomers in Scripture. Overcomers are this. It's defined as this. Followers of Christ who successfully resist the power and temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, who overcomes the world? Whoever is born again. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? 
he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's talking to the Gnostics there, talking to the Gnostics who are, who are denying that Jesus came in the flesh and that he was just a spirit and that sort of thing. Overcoming requires complete dependence upon God. Complete dependence upon God. Overcome stems from the word Nike, that means to carry off the victory. And Jesus has secured for each one of us the victory. Each one of us the victory. An overcomer is one who resists sin no matter what lures Satan puts out. We have the ability to resist. Will we walk in the strength that he's given us or not? None of us carries it out 100%, but we have the ability to. God is working through all overcomers, and he works through, listen to this. Now, God gets our attention with suffering. For some reason, humans do not draw near to God until they suffer. If you look at your own life and examine it, when were the times that you drew closest to God? When something happened to you on toward. So when suffering came into your life. Notice what he says here. God will, through the suffering, which, which will last a short time, which has a limited duration, okay? God will perfect you. That means to look more like Jesus. God will establish you. That means to make you, make you solid, like a steer in, in a blizzard, solid, not moved. God will strengthen you. And it's the only place where this word strengthen in this, this Greek word is used in the New Testament. And it means the strength necessary to, uh, to overcome anything that is thrown at it. The strength that I can overcome anything because of the power of God. And God will settle you. And this is the best thing of all. He will take the churning, anxious mind and settle you, secure our nerves, allay our anxiety, stabilize our thoughts. When you read this, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, it will end. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And it makes you just want to burst out into praise. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's exactly what happens here. The God of grace is with you through all the stuff we go through. Not only the God of grace, but in Romans 15, 33, the God of peace is with us. The God of mercy is with you in Luke 1.78. The God of all comfort is with you in 2 Corinthians 1.3. The God of love in 2 Corinthians 13.11 is with you. But never, ever, ever, ever think this. Never the God of confusion. God is never the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33, talking about confusion with spiritual gifts in the church. He makes this great statement. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. When you see confusion, when you see chaos, think Satan. Think the demonic realm. Think the world, the flesh, and the devil. God is not the author of confusion. Finally, Peter's farewell, verses 12 through 14. Peter's farewell. By Silvanius or Silas, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying, that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, and I believe Babylon here is a code word for Rome. He doesn't want to get people killed there. Code word. Elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
So Silas, Paul's traveling companion. You know, everybody needs a faithful friend, and Paul's friend was Silas. Everybody needs someone you can trust. Stick with you through thick and thin. Doesn't bolt when things get rough. Most people are fair weather. If it gets rough, exit stage left. Now, what Silas is doing, he's getting this information to the intended audience, the persecuted church in Rome. And Peter writes this. He writes to these people, those in such dire circumstances must know to stand in the grace of God. In those awful narrow persecution, you want to stand in the grace of God. You needed, they needed this letter. What's God's grace? It's charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It is the joy, the favor, the acceptance of God. It's good news for pilgrims and sojourners and aliens and strangers that are here going through all kinds of mess. Whether it's the Nero's coming at you or it's the whatever it is, the family mess, the work mess, the whatever mess, whether you're rejected, degraded, belittled, persecuted, suffering, whether it's those in power that are doing it or whoever in your life is doing it, the God of grace is with you. The God of grace is with you. A Christian can make it through just about anything, folks, when God's grace is them. His overflowing grace is poured out on them. Peter's farewell is an encouragement to any weary traveler. Look, at we're all traveling. There's all a degree of weariness with us. Encourage one another. Remind one another. Exhort one another. We are not home yet. These things will last but a time. But a time. But they will end. God is giving you the grace to stand through it all. God is giving you the grace to stand through it all. We can make it. We can make it. We are almost home, and we are not alone. Finally, in closing, know your adversary. You know him. We've studied this multiple times. Know him. We open with C.S. Lewis, and we will close with C.S. Lewis. But before I close with C.S. Lewis, hear this. Know his tactics. Know his methods. Know his ways. Know his bait. And resist him in the faith. Resist him in the faith. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Screwtape Letters. And in the preface, he writes this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. This is the beginning that I started out with. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. It's the demon of everything. Two extremes. Two extremes. Satan's strategy, as articulated by Screwtape, who is a senior devil, and he's talking to his protege. He's talking to his nephew, who he's trying to educate on devil warfare, how to affect or how to affect the demise of, the, of their enemy, God. Now notice what Screwtape says to this young tempter. Like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light in an, into the nothingness, into the darkness. Just edge him over there into the darkness. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. 
Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, it's the gradual slide away from God. Have you ever seen the Christian that starts to compromise on the creation? And then the Christian that starts to compromise on, on some of the truths of the Word of God. The Christian who compromises on, is this really God's Word? And it's that slope that leads them into the darkness, leads them away from God. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for each one of us. He's looking for an opening to devour and to hurt us. Resist him steadfast in the faith, unwavering faith, stable faith, unmoved faith. Revelation 12:11 says this, they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Know your adversary. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And I want to leave you with this picture. Armor up. Armor up. Everything, head to toe. That is your life, beginning to end. Your day begins with this. Your day ends with this. You don't take your armor off and leave an opening. Armor up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for you that you've allowed us to go through these principles that allow us to see the schemes of this enemy that really wants to destroy. He did come, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. He steals life. He kills motivation. He destroys people. Lord, I pray right now that anybody here that has heard this word, that your spirit will do what is necessary in that person to affect the change that needs to happen within them. Each one of us struggles with some sort of offense. Each one of us struggles with some sort of addiction. Each one of us struggles with something that the enemy uses as the bait that is made specifically for us. May we recognize that bait, and may we be aware that we have the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to say, no, I am going to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I will say yes to Jesus and no to my own desires. I will, I will, by the power of God, do what is pleasing and honoring in his sight. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is teaching us. And we do not have to be caught in these traps any longer. Lord, help me. And maybe you can say your own name. But help me to recognize when the enemy is at work in my life and help me to say, no, I'm walking in newness of life. I'm walking the way Jesus wants me to walk. Lord, you've given us the strength. May we walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.